0: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
1: It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to
0: look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view
1: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff i Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And we're back with Sminty Fiction. Yay! Yay! Which, it feels like forever, even though it's literally only been one month. <laughs> but the last Sminty Fiction was the finale of our previous ongoing Spinty Fiction Terminus, this is the start of the sequel. I was pondering, waiting, and giving it some more time, but I just was like, you know what? Let's keep going. Go all the way in. Yeah, let's go. Um, so yes, this is the sequel to Terminus. We are trying to do a playlist thing. So that it makes it easier if you want to go back and just listen to all those episodes. We're trying to do it with a couple of installments, including your religion. So many things. Yes. Um, So let us know if that's something you're interested in. I don't think it's too hard to search out those things. But if it's something we can make easier, we're happy to do it. But Yes, this is the sequel to Terminus. It will make a lot more sense if you go back and listen to all, I think, 18 ish of those, but I can't tell you what to do. Also, uh, congratulations to everyone who did NaNoWriMo, National Novel yeah. Writing Month. Uh, or didn't. Uh, or, tried. or tried. I'm with <laughs> yes. you. My people who tried. I got it. I got you. Yes. Because this, the first one was my first attempt at NaNoWriMo. Successful attempt, I'll say. Yeah. This was my second one. And then there is a third. This is a trilogy. But uh, this is once a month thing. If it's not your thing, it is continuing. I did want to ask you this, Samantha. Have you ever had the deeply terrifying moment of losing an entire document on your computer? Oh, yes. It's horrible.
0: But you know I come from like
1: pre-internet. So, of course. (laughs) So I've when I was in college, I had my final paper got completely erased. To this day, I still don't know how. It just wasn't there. And I had to rewrite it. And I I actually think the second one I wrote was better. It was on a completely different topic because I was like, never again will I talk about that. But this, I actually lost this first half of this entire document. Ooh. Yes. Uh I was able to recreate some of it, but Imagine the heartbreak of trying to write something during NaNoWriMo and then losing the first half oh, about midway in. <laughs> I would throw it. So, this one, as always with these, I just, I'm, look, I'm going to be real with you. I'm not going to edit it. I'm not. I might edit some <laughs> of it. I, 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 I feel a like, big, I, like <laughs> introduction. I feel like I'm making it sound like it's terrible. It's not, but I just, <laughs> yes. I don't. I didn't edit the last one either, right? But this one, I did. I, I was reminded of some heartbreak. Uh, when oh, I was no. going back over because I was like, "Oh yeah, I totally lost all of that." Oh no! <laughs> I don't think it's that noticeable, but you're free to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> Everybody writes in. Everybody writes it. That's okay. I think it's good. I think it's good. I'm sorry. I, I'm building this up way too much. I just <laughs> I had forgotten that that happened to me, Samantha, until I was. I'm sure that was traumatic. Even it was, remembering it is traumatic. It was really traumatic. Um, this one is also called "Big Things Start Small," because title. yeah, I'm a nerd for titles, as we've said. It's a good title. Yeah, because <laughs> he's so little. <laughs> <laughs> so we're being literal, I like it. It's, it's both. It's both. That's like what makes it. it good. So, all right, content warning for discussion of hunger, illness disease, being cold and miserable. (laughs) Once again, (laughs) The Last of Us had not come out at this point. I'm kind of like, (laughs) I'm amazed at some of the things. (laughs) Yeah, you were a forward thinker. Well, something was going on. I don't know what it was. Um, So a very quick recap. Again, please, I think it will make more sense if you listen to the first installment. But quick recap. There is an illness called HSV-5 that has wiped out much of the human population, um, it makes it so that people who can get pregnant can't after the first time having penis and vagina sex. And so if you don't get pregnant that first time, then that's it. And the population is slowly dwindling. We follow Tilda and her son Madison. Tilda uh, got illegally pregnant outside of Conception Center because she's supposed to go to a Conception Center so they can monitor all of that stuff. And she's been on the run with her son, Madison, for seven years. She was a priority number one case and was never sure why. She was trying to escape all these enforcers of the government. She met uh, some allies along the way. She discovered there was a resistance, but they weren't quite what they thought she was. She learned there was not a cure, but there was a vaccine. However, the state, who is also kind of run by this religious organization, had destroyed all but one. So she risks going into their headquarters to get the vaccine for her son. And it's, she realizes that they are the paternal grandparents and they have been saving the vaccine for him. And him alone, because they believe the human population is full of sin and should die. But not him. Um, <laughs> but yes. Uh, oh, yes. Um, but then it culminates. He does get the vaccine Darla, the the wife in this equation, gets shot accidentally and presumably dies. Tilda, main character, uh, gets to the their broadcast system that they use to send out their kind of this is how you should behave messages, and tells them that there is a vaccine. Tell broadcast that there is a vaccine and that they destroyed it, um, and then escapes into the night. And that's where the first one ends. So, we're picking off kind of right after that. So, let's get into it.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please.
1: It was cold. The air was heavy, weighted with frostiness, as if tiny crystallized shards were suspended in the thick fog of cold, and every breath scratched and burned down the throat and contracted the muscles. A steady refrain of flaring ice headaches. Tilda drew in breath slowly, carefully, fog puffing out of her mouth in a slow stream of smoke as though she were smoking a cigarette. Tilda Henderson Madison were trudging slowly, clumsily through a forest. Snow crunched beneath their feet, as it had for the last two days. Under the layer of snow was a mushy carpet of dead leaves, so that every step sunk and snow collected around their ankles. Icicles clung resolutely from barren branches and cool, green pine needles, tinkling like bells with sudden gentle breezes that preceded brutal, swirling gusts of wind that pierced the skin and threatened to knock them off their feet. Alongside them was a creek, mostly frozen over. It occasionally gurgled and dripped, but for the most part, the woods around them was eerily silent except for the wailing and whistling of the wind, the bell-like icicles, and the snapping of limbs. Overhead, the sky was a blanket of soft gray clouds that foretold of more snow to come. They had yet to see the sun since the snow first fell a few days ago, and the forest was in perpetual twilight during the day. A desolate loneliness hung over them, so palpable that Tilda felt like a very unwelcome intruder. They were making their way south through a large National Wildlife Reserve in Virginia. They'd strayed from the main roads, in the most general sense of the word, in an effort to avoid any possible pursuit or violence in the wake of Tilda's broadcast as they fled D.C. Perhaps she was being overly cautious, but the sounds of chaos, the sight of tanks thundering toward Washington, rolling past her and Madison as though they were bugs that could be unknowingly smushed, unnerved her. Then came the sudden influx of people on the roads, some in dusty cars but many on foot, a small army with slack faces somehow still drawn and determined, suspicious eyes roving to Tilda's face, then to the rare breed of human, a child, at Tilda's side, and snapping up to her again, calculating, wondering at the woman and her son heading in the opposite direction of the influx to D.C., where a vaccine and some answers supposedly waited, lumbering towards hope and revenge. Tilda opted for smaller roads, overwhelmed and on edge at the sight of so many people, but even they proved to have cars speeding north, slowing down after they passed the pair of mother and child. The tension eating at her muscles and churning in her stomach led Tilda to decide to abandon the roads altogether and continue their southward trek through the George Washington Virginia State Park and Wildlife Refuge. They'd stopped at a few camp stores located near the entrance to restock on what supplies they could. Granola bars, later discovered to be hard as rock, packets of nuts, trail mixes, protein bars, and an armful of tiny water bottles, all packed carefully away in a new waterproof camping backpack. She'd also grabbed them compact sleeping bags, a lighter, flashlights and some batteries, a two-man tent, some fleece pullovers, and waterproof parkas, warm camping clothes and shoes, though unfortunately she couldn't find any in Madison's size. Tilda had also picked up a decent-sized knife. She told herself it was for hunting. The backpack was hefty, but not overly so. Most of the items she'd picked up were designed for campers and meant to be lightweight. The clothes were effective in keeping them warm and dry. She'd even found gloves and hats for them both. But after two days in the snow, the cold had seeped in and become a part of them. Tilda imagined ice collecting along her muscles, making her stiff, her blood sluggish. The damp chill was bone deep. Her lips were numb, her nose and ears tingled, her cheeks burned, and she couldn't feel her toes or fingers, no matter how she flexed them. When they first entered the park, they'd followed trails and markers, passed for hikers and campers but years without upkeep made it difficult to stay on track. She hadn't anticipated the snow. Glistening white powder and ice obscuring whatever trails had been left, Tilda had taken to following the creek, which she had determined using what little she could glimpse of the sun was flowing southward. Even with her new supplies, things were looking bleak. The cold had frozen most of the thought processes in her brain, other than put one foot in front of the other, but she could feel a barely contained terror like a grey shroud in her mind and in her heart. She was so scared for Madison. He'd been largely silent, huddled against her side and stumbling clumsily against her with his shuffling footsteps. Once the cold had seeped through their coats and their thermals, his body had been racked with shivers but now only the occasional shudder overtook him. Tilda carried him off and on, but her cold body refused to cooperate. He stumbled against her again. Swallowing, her throat parched, Tilda rasped, all right. Her eyes darted to the dead forest, searching for some kind of an end. Were they making their way out? Or were they only making their way deeper in? A mumble was Madison's response. She jiggled the tiny hand she held in hers, and he muttered, It's cold. I know, baby. She glanced up at the sky, fretful at its mercy. Tell me a story, okay? About what? He sounded somewhat annoyed at her request, but mostly exhausted. What's the warmest thing you can think of? Her lips chattered suddenly, then stopped. A breeze swirled past them, whipping an icy lock of hair in her face. A moment's hesitation, the wind wailing in the distance. Mercury. Tilda gave a hoarse laugh of surprise. Madison did not acknowledge her amusement. Okay, tell me a story about Mercury. The boy sighed, a very adult-like sound, and said in a very clipped and rehearsed tone. It's the smallest planet, it's closest to the sun, it's hot, and no one lives there. His voice sounded very thin and reedy, as brittle as the dead tree branches snagging their coats, somehow loud and fragile in the dead quiet around them. That's not a story, Tilda chided him gently. Those are facts. Heavy sigh. A smile twitched at Tilda's lips despite the situation. On the one hand, conserving energy was probably very wise, but on the other, on the other, taking his mind off the cold invading his body, the cold that would not relent, not yield, but only worsen as his steps slowed, his resolve weakened, until the sun made its existence known once again. That was worth it. She could almost feel Madison relent, hear him thinking. She pictured his face, his brows furrowed, biting his lip as he often did when he was thinking. He started quietly, there was a boy who who had a glass ball. He found it one day, when he was out exploring, digging in the dirt. It was glass, clear like crystal. But at night he was scared, the dark. He didn't know what was out there, but he could sense it in the dark, something watching, waiting. Tilda slowed subconsciously, cold fingers dancing up her spine. Often these stories were fanciful products of a boy's imagination, allowed to roam free. But just as often, they were insights into Madison's state of mind. She was suddenly irrationally afraid of what he might say. Madison sniffled and swiped the back of his hand across his nose, continuing. He was alone and cold. So he got out his glass ball, and he held it in his hands, pretending he could see another world there. A warm one, bright and safe. At first, all he saw was, was glass, not even his own reflection. But then a sort of orange and yellow smoke filled the glass ball, and the ball got warm in his hands. The light grew and grew and made a, a, a circle around him, light and heat, like a bubble. And it looks like Mercury's surface. He trailed off with a breathy gasp, stumbling to his knees. Madison? Dingerly, Tilda knelt beside him, attempting unsuccessfully to pull him to his feet. Her heart was thumping wildly, sudden starts and stops, as the blood rushed to her head at the changed position, pounding in her temple. What's the sound? Madison asked, wispy and frail. Tilda's mind sluggishly wondered if he was hearing her heartbeat. her ice-addled powers of concentration finally coming to the conclusion that, as ridiculous, as impossible as it seemed, the sound was not her heart, but that of a horse's hooves, distant now but fast approaching. Her stomach plummeted with a chill that had nothing to do with the temperature as she struggled to her feet, pulling Madison up with her. She glanced around wildly as they careened haphazardly forward, "'knowing that the tracks they left in the snow "'would lead the rider straight to them. "'Desperate, Tilda steered them towards the creek. Bracing herself, she stepped through the ice, "'her boot sinking, angled deep in freezing water. "'Creaking joints lifted Madison into her arms, "'wincing and momentarily terrified "'she'd be unable to carry him, "'that her strength would give out. "'She followed the creek back the way they came, "'teetering with each frantic step. "'The hooves grew louder, quicker, "'as they reached a mossy rock face "'covered in patches of ice.' water from melted snow streaming in small rivulets down the side. Hang on, Tilda whispered shakily. With a gloved hand, she grasped a rock outcropping on the side and pulled herself up, the momentum from almost falling back, smacking her cheek against the rock, but helping her hoist her body against the slippery surface. Her foot, big and clumsy with the boot on, needed to be jammed with painful force into a small gap between the rocks, jolting her frozen toes. Pushing off the ground with her other foot, she reached with her other hand and gripped the edge of the slab of the rock. Her chest seized with effort, her lungs unable to draw breath as she heaved herself up. Black spots danced in her vision as she pulled herself and Madison over the edge, the fabric of their jackets scraping against the rock. She scooted backward on her butt, expecting to see the horse and its rider appear at any moment. The creek continued in an upward slope, Ending in another cliff face where a waterfall, only beginning to melt, now covered the entrance to a tiny alcove with a sheet of ice. "'Crawl in,' Tilda instructed Madison, releasing him with jerky movements. Madison slithered under the sheet of ice where it had melted away on the lower left, kicking slippery, squeaking soles against the slicker rocks to propel himself underneath. Tilda followed his lead, the cold water like a shock against her back. They huddled in the dark with their knees against their chest, their breath fogging with every short pant, loud and harsh in the small cave they'd taken refuge in. Their view of the outside was distorted through the ice, sound muffled and far away. A dark object came into view. The horse. A man in a thick jacket with long dark hair rode astride it. The horse had slowed to a trot. Tilda could only assume the man had seen their tracks. Fumbling, slow fingers reached for a knife, not believing as she reached for it that she could ever use it, not believing it would do any good. Madison whimpered and pressed himself closer to her. The horse whinnied, shuffling in the snow. The man called out deep and commanding, but Tilda couldn't make out the words. A gray fog, much like the one that had surrounded them in the journey through these woods, was making her thoughts slow and disjointed. The man directed his horse forward, following their path out of sight. Had he followed them here? Had he been searching for them? They waited, watching through the glass, the wet from the rock walls and stones underneath them making their already frigid bodies even colder, Tilda could make out the occasional sound, enough to know that the man and his horse were still close by, if out of sight. Tilda could only hope he chose to follow the creek south, the direction they'd been traveling all along, guessing that they would stay on their current trajectory, that he'd guessed the pair of them would have been unable to climb up the rock face. Silence stretched on as Tilda's tension grew. The man called out again, and Madison jumped. Though she couldn't make out the words, she could tell by the intonation that it was a question. What if he was calling for someone else? What if there were more of them? Madison had resumed shivering, bearing himself against Tilda's side in a desperate search for heat. Tilda flexed her fingers, willing some of the blood to flow back into them, willing herself to feel them again. The man's face came back into sight on the other side of the creek. It was disconcerting, being able to see his face but not make out any of the features on it not knowing where he was looking. His head moved slowly from side to side, scanning. Tilda assumed for any trail to follow, a clue as to what direction they had gone. A particularly strong gust of wind swirled and kicked up snow and stripped some bark from trees, a muted screaming, forcing the man to shield his face with his arm. The horse neighed almost nervously, turning away from the blast of air. Tilda suddenly had the fleeting idea of attempting a surprise attack to secure the guy's horse and ride her and Madison to shelter, but dismissed it almost immediately. After the wind had died down, the man lowered his arm, cautiously. He gave another tentative look around, then coaxed his horse forward, gently, back the way they came. For what felt like a long time, but was probably only a few minutes, Tilda stared through the distorted glass that was their world, her ears strained. Trying to discern the sounds of hooves or feet through the wailing of the wind. A sharp but weak intake of air by her side drew her attention to Madison. She looked down at her son, his mop of mousy brown hair almost black with water. His lips were blue. Come on, she murmured. She wriggled out on her back under the break in the ice. She held her hand, motioning for him to follow her. Tilda frowned when he hesitated, his movement slow. He crawled out on his stomach, his face deathly pale. His eyes had a plea in them. Here, darling. She grasped his hands, afraid her fingers would snap off as she curled them around his fingers. Swallowing, Tilda surveyed their surroundings, senses heightened with danger, hazel eyes darting from tree to tree. For now, they'd follow the creek south, she decided, eyeing the hoofprints heading east warily. But they needed to find shelter it started to flurry. So beautiful, fun even, but now so deadly. They climbed back down the rock face, Tilda going first and then reaching her arms up for Madison. He tried to curl up in her arms, but failed and settled instead for just nuzzling into her neck. Tilda sighed, stroking the back of his head and resolved to carry him as long as her arms allowed. She rubbed his back, hoping to get some blood circulating and helped him wrap his legs around her waist. She began her slow, hopeless journey, every step treacherous, the cold winter water threatening to soak through her boots. Her mind was too frayed to process any clear thoughts other than that they were in serious trouble, a burning fear that she was almost distant from because she was too cold to register it. As her foot punched a hole in the ice still covering most of the stream's surface, she tried to remember what it felt like to be warm, and couldn't. It felt foreign to her something that could no longer exist not for her not for madison a branch snapped near them she would have jumped if her muscles had the strength dear madison murmured in her ear baby dear sure enough to tilda's left a gangly white spotted creature bounded off clumsy and loud fawn tilda clarified madison repeated the word to her sounding as one hypnotized Tilda sloughed towards with more determination, blinking snowflakes away from her eyelashes. For a long time, she continued. Most of her body shut down to anything else other than the next step. The snow continued to fall, a powdery frosting to the layer of icy slush still blanketing the carpet of leaves. The wind whistled around them. Her eyes felt heavy. Are we going to die? Tilda blinked, thinking she'd imagined the whispered question in her ear. Eventually, they found a cabin, dilapidated and barely standing, but like a beacon in the dark night. Tilda stumbled in, Madison still in her arms, checking, listening, to see if anyone else was in there, but it was empty. She shut the door of the creek, grateful that all of the windows seemed intact, even if everything else seemed ransacked and barely standing. Slowly, she lowered Madison to the ground, the wind howling outside of the cabin. Tilda fumbled with the zipper of her pack. her hand alien and heavy. The water bottles were cold. She gripped two in her fingers, almost dropping them. She had to work slightly to twist off the cap. Tilda helped Madison into a sitting position and handed him the bottle, not transferring the weight until she was sure he had a good grasp on it. She watched, worried, as he struggled to command his fingers. He brought the bottle to his lips slowly and took a clumsy sip that dribbled down his chin, reflecting moonlight. Slowly... She reminded him when he sputtered, coughing as he tried to gulp too quickly. The bottle was already almost empty. Twisting off the cap of her own water, Tilda took a tentative sip, wincing when the cold water came into contact with her parched throat. She swallowed, painfully, the liquid like a cold stone in her empty stomach. In silence they drank, the thin, jagged shadows of tree branches projected on the cabin walls, changing as the clouds moved over the moon. Madison stared at his empty bottle. Tilda watched him, wondering what he was thinking. Still thirsty? Madison curled into the fetal position under the blanket that Tilda had pulled out. I'm okay, he murmured, but Tilda knew he was not. Cold? she prodded, grimacing around another mouthful of water. He nodded. It's not so bad now. Tilda wished she knew more about prolonged exposure to cold. That's good. She ran her hand through his hair and along his face. His skin was still quite cold. Any pain? A long pause. Tilda stroked his arm. I think my bones hurt. My throat. My head. He halted, assessing how much to tell her. Fingers and toes. He turned his face up to hers. I'm okay, though. Right? We're both okay. Tilda sensed an undercurrent, something else he was asking. What are you thinking? His eyes were searching, overly bright in the moonlight. He shrugged. With a quiet sigh, she gave him a tiny smile. Yeah, we're okay. It's just taking time for our bodies to warm up. We were so cold, we lost some feeling in our hands and our feet. She jiggled his foot. So now we can feel the pain in them. Another waited moment settled over them. Tilda knew Madison was debating, trying to find the words for what he really wanted to ask. But instead he said, Okay. Tilda nearly sighed again, running fingers that still felt disconnected from her hand through his hair. She watched him, trying to discern what thoughts he was too afraid to voice. She could only guess it had something to do with all the revelations of D.C. why they'd been there and why they'd fled. It chased after them, a menacing shadow with such a presence she often expected to turn around and see it, a dark creature with claws and jagged teeth ready to devour them. But as ashamed as she was to admit it, even to herself, she was too tired to summon the courage to have the long, put-off, but necessary conversation. She'd found reason after reason not to have it. First, she needed time to process everything they'd learned and experienced herself. Then, she needed to put distance between them and D.C., Her last excuse, and most cowardly, was Madison hadn't asked. Madison turned away from her. Tilda remained sitting up, staring at his back, thinking about all that was left unsaid. she eased herself down and pulled the blanket around them once more, promising herself they'd talk, that they were fine, really and truly. But she honestly didn't know. That thought kept her awake for a long time.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Jean! Eugene Fodor! Jean, with we'll Much of the joy you will find on the road. Comes from the person you share it with. So you ride books, Gin, and Lastor on business. I understand now. But be careful and choose your travel partner well. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down!
1: I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on and it's high time you tell me the truth.
0: Freeze Americano! Huh? Oh!
1: Jean, Run!
0: So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever
1: you get your podcasts. And that brings us to the end of this first installment of Big Things Start Small. I'll probably just call it Terminus 2 to make it clear. But that's what it's really called in my head. Um, (laughs) It is shorter than the first one. And the third one's even shorter than this one. (laughs) But but I'm excited to share it with all of you. Um, And I hope that you enjoy it. And I really do appreciate it when people write in. Whatever your thoughts are, your theories are. <laughs> uh, and if you have any if you have any stories you want to share, any NaNoWriMo thoughts, or anything we can read in the public domain that we could have sound effects and do something like this. We love doing this kind of stuff. We can't do it too often because it is a bigger thing for Christina, who is amazing and makes these happen. Um it has a lot of things on her plate. There are a lot of things on Christina's plate. Uh, but we do like to do them. So if you have any suggestions... Or something like that, uh, please let us know. Uh, you can email us at StephanieAMomstuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stephon Never Told You. We have a t public store and we have a book and an audiobook uh, where you can get wherever you get those things. Um, thanks as always to our super producer Christina, our executive producer Maya, and our contributor Joey. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stephon Never Told You is production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.